Seahawks Nation, the podcast representing the best fans in college football. Now, here's Tyler and Jerry. What's going on, Buffs fans? It's another week and another tough loss. I'm Tyler Walji. He's Jared all to my right. This is the Buffs Nation podcast. Jared, how you feeling? You know, I'm uh, conflicted. I'm feeling a little conflicted about how I came away from that. It's been a weird season. It's been up and down. I feel very emotional every time I come in the studio to talk some Buffs football. It's always, it's never just like a consistent week by week. Here's what we're doing. It's always up and down. I always come in pretty hot. It's weird because I was really hot after the game on uh, Friday, Saturday, Saturday this Fri- week. It was Friday. It was, was Friday. It, Friday? it was a long weekend. I'm wasn't getting it? confused <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, yeah, definitely was. Yeah, Friday night game only game on right in the entire landscape of college football on wow, Friday. Only only game anyone cares about. I think there was like a Mac no, game or no, something. No, there no? wasn't. No, oh, there was okay. the only game. Not even like a, well, maybe like an FBS game. But yeah, no, and in, in, in all Division One football, CU USC was the only one. So right all eyes were on the Buffs, and they almost exactly so pulled one off. We'll break down that game, and of course, look ahead to next week's game at UCLA. Presumably, the only or not the only, but the closest game in terms of the spread, the market. If you're one of those people that looks at that, what's the spread going to be? What's this team favored by? This will be the closest spread. The rest of the season, and CU's a six-point underdog on the road. Are they really? I was they gonna. Are. I was looking to see what that would come out. It I, opened four and quickly moved to six. I'm actually a little bit surprised by that, but UCLA has won two in a row. I think that uh, people on the market are starting to get on them. Yeah, we will get to that UCLA game coming up. Special thanks, of course, to Woos Media. We are a Woos Media podcast, but they don't just host podcasts. They are one of the best in modern, uh, up-to-date online advertising. So whether you want to show up on Instagram, Facebook, websites across the country, check them out online. Woos Media. That's W-O-O-Z-E media.com. All right, Jared, I've got a couple of things to say about last week's game. I'm going to give you the drop this time because I'm going to start off. Uh, no, no, no. You go ahead. I got to get my thoughts together. Okay. So... What we said last week on this podcast, seven short days ago, if CU keeps this thing close, all we're asking to see is improvement. All we want to see from these Buffaloes is a little bit each week. Just show us that you're working and that you're improving, that you're trying. What we saw the last couple games from the Buffs this season, what was it, the uh, Washington State, but the week before that, Oregon, it looked like this team quit. I'll take the 35-30 loss against Arizona. I'll take a, even a overtime loss against Air Force, and the, even though we can debate whether that should be a loss, right? You fought in those games. You kept it close. You played Colorado Buffaloes football. If you were to ask me last week, and we, we posed this question, if it's a close game, a three-, four-point game, how would we feel? But, Jared, the final score doesn't tell the whole story of the game. And it's how you get to the final score often that paints the picture of how fans feel about the team, the game, the process, so on and so forth. When CU held a 31-20 lead with 11 minutes to go in the game, you have to you have to figure that, okay, this is the Buffs game at this point to lose. You're up 10. You're certainly favored at that point to win the game. I think the live line was like CU minus 4. ESPN had him above a 60% chance to win the game. And through the course of the fourth quarter, USC outscores the Buffs 14-0, and there's a lot of reasons why that happened, Jared. I think that USC is a team who knows how to win. Winning is a learned skill. It's something that you have to go through, and I, that may be a lot of 
the point of a lot of CU fans out there because you know what I like to do. You know what the listeners, if you've listened to the last couple shows, you know that I like to go on Facebook and Twitter and kind of get a gauge for what Buffs Nation is thinking, what, what the Buffs fans are thinking. And it's overwhelmingly disappointment. There were many more. You're going to get the occasional fans. Hey, get off their backs. It's a new coach, new season. But I think that the true fans who have expectations for this team, who want this to be a competitive college football program, look at that game and shake their heads because CU did everything right for the first 50 minutes. And then for the last 10, they did everything wrong. So Jared, what were your thoughts walking away? Were you heated? Were you mad? Were you okay with it? Initially, as I'm walking away from Folsom Field, I was hot. I was so upset. You know, I, I look back and in my mind, CU was definitely the better team uh, Friday night. From you know, overall in the game, I think they 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 really won in all facets of the game. It's like you got to the fourth quarter, and I think you pointed it out and laid it out there perfectly. I think what you saw was a team that was in control the whole time in the buffs, and then you got to about 10 minutes left, and you went, okay, all we have to do is not lose this game. Yeah, exactly. Not blow it. Just don't blow it. And it seemed like their their approach to play calling, their approach to defense, it seemed like everything changed a little bit, got a little more conservative, and you, you let it get away from you, and I think you saw just the, the superior athletes from USC, if you're going to give them anything, they're going to take it right from you, and so initially, I was hot, I was hot, and I'm actually glad this game was on Friday night because it's given me a little bit of extra time to settle in. And, and you know, I started thinking back in, in, in our, our show we did last week and a lot of the discussions we had. And I think you really, when you look at this game, Tyler, you have to feel pretty good about what the Buffs did in the grand scheme of things. They were competitive. This is a team that showed me they have not given up. They showed me they belong and can compete in the Pac-12. But they also showed you just what we've seen all year. They're just not quite ready to take that next step. So am I frustrated? Yes. There are certainly a lot of things out of this game that really frustrate me. But I saw a lot of positives, a lot of things that we were calling for with the coordinators, with some of the play calling. I saw a lot of improvements through most of the game. And then I saw a team that went into a shell in the fourth quarter and were afraid to lose. And that's almost human nature. You look at a team like the Broncos, who have a first-year head coach, Vic Fangio, the fourth oldest head coach in the history of the NFL. Look what they did yesterday against the... Uh, and by the way, we record this late on uh, two, or on uh, Mondays. Look what the Broncos did yesterday on Sunday against the Colts. They had the lead late in the game, and they started playing not to lose. Why? I think a big part of it is Vic Fangio, brand-new head coach, not a position he's been in a lot before. You don't know how to act when you're in that spot. Well, Mel Tucker, same thing. He's never been a head coach before. This is his first program he's taken control of. He hasn't been in control of the game time situations during the game. And you could tell there was a little bit of rust, whether it was Mel Tucker, the coaching staff. I think a lot of the coaches collectively get some credit here. But for the players, for the coaches, winning late in the game is something you have to learn how to do. And we always talk about this, that there are many different types of coaches out there. Now, I believe that overall in college football in 2019, moving forward, you have to be more of the CEO type, which Mel Tucker certainly is. You know, that you're going to get your coaches like Mike Leach and Chip Kelly, who are more X's and O's guys, right? Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State may be one of those. They get more involved with the game plan. They call plays. They're, well, Mel Tucker, a lot of the game, it's, 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 this is not good or bad. I, I think it's actually fine. He's, he's at midfield. You know, he's letting the offensive coordinators do their thing, the defensive coordinators do their thing. But let's face it, for a lot of Mel Tucker's career, he's seen 
uh, Mark Richt or Kirby Smart or Nick Saban on the sideline, you don't have to make those decisions. And a lot of times it takes years to learn how to be a great in-game coach for when do you call timeouts, how aggressive are you in certain play call scenarios, and the Buffs just didn't know how to win. You're right, Jerry. There's a lot to take away positive from that weekend. I still can't help but be a little pissed, though. I still can't help but have, help but have a bad taste in my mouth and go, are you kidding me? I mean, honestly... It, it, it sounds good. I love what Mel Tucker's saying. I like some of these new recruits that we're bringing in next season. It seems positive, but it also seems like the same story we've been fed the last 15 years. Do you feel like you're trying to talk yourself into feeling okay? That's how I feel 100%, about it. Like, 100%. Like, you because, know what? We, we said this last week that we would feel great if they were in this position, the position they came away from where they were competitive all the way to the end. They, they, they didn't get blown out. But it's like I, I kept thinking back and I listened back to our show a couple times and I'm like... Yeah, I said all those things, but then you get into this moment and it's just like, oh, just just what could have been. You know, and let's let's go down that rabbit hole a little bit. The bus go out and win that game, right? That puts them at what, four and four then on the season. Yeah. That puts you in a scenario where you're going two and three the in next two weeks against UCLA and Stanford, two very winnable games, and you're in a situation where a bowl game is very realistic. Now you lose this game. Okay, you can still feel good about what you saw from them, but all of a sudden when you're looking at this season in a nutshell, boy, it's going to be really, really tough to see the Buffs get to six wins. That's going to take a win at uh, uh, against Washington or on the road at Utah. Those are very, And not to mention beating two other teams that you're very likely going to be an underdog against anyways, UCLA and Stanford. So now it's, it's, it's one of those things, what the difference it could do for the confidence of your team, for a guy like Mel Tucker to get this team fully behind him, a team that we had talked about last couple weeks of, were, was this team quitting on Mel Tucker? I think they proved they aren't quitting but they really I think would have been a turning point for this season if you go get that win you can forget about those two bad losses if you go get this win yeah there's a lot that winning does man it changes the attitude changes the feeling in the locker room and I know sometimes it's just that one or two points it's a close game doesn't matter you you feel it's gut-wrenching to go through a game like that and and it's so different when you're coming back as the underdog, right? And not coming back is the hell the lead for a lot of that game. But when you are the underdog and you're in that spot, it's like, I mean, CU's never beaten USC. That would have been their first win in program history against the Trojans. And they let it slip away. So, yeah, Jared, I know that there is a lot to take away from that game, but... To me, it's just like, when are we going to turn the page? When is the CU program going to start winning those close games? And I'm not trying to be negative, folks. Again, I said it last week. I'll say it again this week. I've loved CU for a couple decades. CU is my favorite sports team in the world. I do all, all this because I have expectations because I love the Buffs. I am one of the biggest Buffs fans out there. And, and, and anytime I see them lose a game, it's never enough to say the moral victory, so on and so forth. And I get it. They're, it's fine. I'm not condemning fans who are saying be positive about the Buffs. There needs to be both, right? There needs to be a little bit of each in the fan base. You don't want to be the, the, the Philadelphia Eagles, just boo everybody, boo Santa Claus, right? You don't want to be that. But you need both in the fan base. And I think that if everyone sits back and is complacent about this, then you don't have the pressure that good institutions, good good football teams have that inherently, in my opinion, turns the wheel to create good programs. You need that pressure. You need a little bit up top, right? If you're operating with zero pressure, I don't think that's a good thing. Even Nick Saban floats his name out there occasionally going to the NFL. Why? To retain that power in Tuscaloosa, right? Uh, uh, Jim Harbaugh does the same thing. So I think that it's it's important to always be aware of 
What's going on at the program? Is there enough pressure from the media, from the fans? And it's not bad, folks, to want your program to do the best they can and to be a little disappointed after a loss like that. Let's talk about some positives, though, Jared. I know I came in here last week really upset about Steven Montez. You talk about turning things around. This is why. Let's just give his stat line real quick. 27 of 43, 324 uh, 324 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. He averaged 7.5 yards of completion. That's very good. This is my point of why I've said now for a long time that it hasn't been Montez. It's been the coaching staff. And I really want to go back and dig and see what the heck the quarterback's coach was doing under Mike McIntyre because Steven Montez has it within him to be a very good quarterback. I think we both agree you're the draft expert. He's going to be in the NFL, right? Absolutely, absolutely. He, he, he may, uh, I think, have seen his draft stock fall a little bit over the last few weeks, but he's he's got the size, he's got the measurables, he's got all the things that you want. And what do these coaches in the NFL say? If we can just get him in, in camp and work with him and develop him, you know, there are plenty of quarterbacks taken every year who are quote-unquote projects. That's what Montez is going to be because we haven't seen the development from sophomore year to junior year to senior year. Guess what I saw in one freaking week, Jared? I saw a great turnaround. He's getting the ball out of his hands quickly, went through a few progressions. When he did run, he actually gained some yards. I mean, it was running with a purpose, not just scrambling wily Coyote style in the back and then throwing it away or lobbing it up in the end zone. He made good decisions when, he, when no one was open. He threw the ball out of bounds and... I mean, talk about throwing the ball 43 times and coming away three touchdowns, no picks. It shows me that they, they, the offensive coaches finally drew up some stuff that allowed him to get the ball out of his hands quickly. And what did I say last week? I really wanted these receivers to get involved in the game. The best unit on the entire field for the Buffs is the receivers. They touched the ball a total of 27 times. And that includes uh, running backs out of the backfield. Just swinging it out, getting it to these Which fast Alex guys. Which Alex Fontenot is very involved, involved as a receiver in this game. I Five think catches. Had, yeah, absolutely. So, and, 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 and just to build off of what you're talking about there with Montez, I think... You know what I really saw in this game was, you know, the this coaching staff, the offensive coaching staff, building off of Montez's strengths. You saw early in that game, two or three designed runs. He's an athlete. Let him get out and be an athlete. I think they did a lot of things that instilled confidence in him early on. I think there was a lot of plays you saw them really target Lavisca Chanel early. Go to a guy that you know can catch the ball. You know he's going to gain positive yards. So you start to build that, and all of a sudden, then the the offense is moving. They drove right down the field, even though they got a stinking field goal on their first drive. <laughs> they drove right down the field. It was good to see. And then the big turnover from the defense, and boom, you saw Montez jump on it after that. You really saw his confidence start to grow, and it just really seemed like, I'll be I'll be honest, it, it almost felt like to me, Tyler, that maybe this, this coaching staff is starting to tune into the Buffs Nation podcast because <laughs> everything we called for last week, I think we really saw both offensively and defensively and how they attacked the Trojans in this game, and it was very successful up until the end part of the game where I think that conservative mindset set back in, and they kind of backed off of some of the things that had made them successful throughout this game. Maybe they have been listening. The numbers have been skyrocketing lately. By the way, keep telling your friends. We love the support. Uh, if you can, give us a rating on iTunes, Spotify, Google, uh, Facebook, anything you can. It always helps the show. But uh, yeah, Jared, I think so. And they really tailored that game plan around Montez to accentuate his strengths. How about uh, I want to talk quickly about Blake Stenstrom. Came in for a run at quarterback. The freshman out of Highlands Ranch, Colorado. I know CU's, well, you had your hands up right there. You I just a- didn't know he was a runner. Man, <laughs> I had no idea he had them wheels on him. And he made that juke to kind of get five or six more yards, and the crowd just went nuts. I loved it. You know, you, you love seeing that effort. CU's going to have a nice little quarterback battle next year. You think uh, Stenstrom's going to get a fair shake? 
I, I do. Obviously, uh, tell everyone about the the dual threat guy they're bringing. Yeah, in. it's uh, Brandon Lewis. Um, he's going to be coming in as a, as a class of twenty twenty freshman. So he would be a true freshman that'll get a look next year. Uh, you also have Blake Stenstrom, who will be, I believe, a junior next year. Uh, as he redshirted, I've got, I've got freshman here. Okay, on so he'll be a sophomore, redshirt sophomore, and then Tyler Lytle will also be uh, on the team as well. So you're going to have some guys without a lot of experience, but guys that have been around this program for for many years. So I think you're going to really see probably a three-way shake um, as far as competing in the spring and into the summer. A lot will depend on when Brendan Lewis shows up. Is he a, is he an early enrollee? Is he not showing up till summer? That really does have an impact. It's hard for a freshman to co- quarterback to come in when you only have four or five weeks of, of summer camp before fall to, to really get ready. All right, uh, let's move on to CU's coaching. Or <laughs> it's just, I guess, in my mind right now, CU's running is what I wanted to say, the rushing game. Coaching, rushing, it's all, we're, we're throwing it all into the bag today, folks. Um, 34 rushing attempts on the ground, okay? 43 pass attempts. Now, I know that we don't want to talk out of both sides of our mouths here because we just got done saying how, like, you got to be more aggressive at the end of the game. You can't just play not to lose, which would imply that they were just kind of running the football, right? Getting conservative. Are you happy with the distribution here? 43 pass attempts, 34 rush attempts, 16 carries for Fontenot, 7 for Montez, and 7 for Jaron Mangum. And Jaron Mangum, I think, led the team as far as yards per carry. Um, I mean, as a team, they rushed for almost 6 yards a carry. I don't know, Stenstrom had 27 That's on just, one carry. This is true, this <laughs> is true. I, I, I am very happy with it. I mean, you're in for almost 200 yards as a team. I, I think they were effective for the most part. I really don't think it necessarily, as you come down to the fourth quarter, came down to, oh, they ran too much, they threw too much. I think... I think it was more of that tentative mindset. You tried to slow the game down. I think there's a few opportunities where you could have maybe been a little more aggressive in how you approached the the down and distance, more so than, oh, you should have ran here or you should have passed there. I thought the distribution was great. I was calling last week. I wanted to see Alex Fontenot featured in this offense, and while he only had 16 carries, I believe he was targeted eight times in the passing game, had five catches, so they very much involved Alex Fontenot, and I like to see him be, be a part of this offense, so I was very happy. Honestly, this is probably the most happy I've been with the coaching staff for three quarters of a game right. that I've seen. It's just it really flipped, and I, I saw a different a different approach in the and, fourth quarter. And you know what's funny is we were talking about that. Remember, it was it, it's always been a different story for the Buffs. the 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 first half and the second half and the halftime adjustments. It's like all we're asking for is four full quarters. Yeah, and I, I think they did defensively come out with a great game plan as well, and one thing that we haven't seen a lot from the Buffs this year is blitzing. And and I, what I saw is that that double A-gap blitz. For those of you who don't know who that is, that's, that's when you have both your linebackers, the inside linebackers, blitzing right on the center. And that worked so effectively. Now, uh, is it Keaton Slovis? Is that how you pronounce who cares? it? Who Slovis. Right. He, he had a good stat line. That was He's not, talking about the freshman quarterback. Yes, I'm for sorry, USC. quarterback for USC. Yeah. That was not indicative of how he looked on that on, on Friday. He looked lost. He looked like they were in his face and in his head all game long. There were several throws where he just panicked and got rid of the ball. And I'll tell you what, this is a different defense with Mustafa Johnson on the field. Well, that's exactly right. Is he makes such a change Mustafa Johnson does on the defensive line. But I think that we can't come away from that game criticizing CU's defense. They're still banged up, still dealing with some injuries, and I think they played a pretty good game. A lot of people wanted to blame the Buffs for that fourth quarter 
comeback USC had, or blame the Buffs D for the fourth quarter comeback that USC had. I don't think he put all that on the defense, Jared. I was really impressed with what the defense came out and did this game. And let's not forget, USC got off to a quick start this game. It was 7 nothing before he could blink off of a less missed... Less than one minute. Yeah, less than one minute in off a missed tackle, uh, Nate Landman. Got run over. How often is that going to happen? So this team could have easily... Imagine that, Jared. You just got blown out two weeks in a row. All the talk from the media, the fans has been, well, are they at least going to show up this game? You give up a quick touchdown, and then you hang in and fight back to take a lead later in the game. Yes, there are a ton of things to take away positive from this Buffs, uh, this Buffs team. But again, it's just been the same story, man. You know, it's the same thing. If you're... Let's not get sad here, but if you're a kid and... Your parents tell you you're going to have Christmas presents and they're not under the tree. And next year they promise Christmas presents. They're not under the tree. What are you going to do after about six years of that? Are you going to assume there's Christmas presents? Or are you just going to, yeah, not to make this a sad uh, example there. But look, I feel like the kid right now and I'm not getting the Christmas presents. And, and we keep hearing, CU's going to make these changes. CU, when are they going to get over the hump? Well, look at this new coaching staff. I know I'm rushing into it, Jared. I know it's Mel Tucker's first year, but you want to see a 10-point lead held with 10 minutes to go in the game, and now I just feel like I'm repeating myself. <laughs> we, we, well, going back to our conversation last week, we said we wanted to see this team improve week to week. So you saw a drastic improvement this week compared to what we had seen in the past two weeks. Now now you set that bar there, okay? So now I want to see improvement from there. You're going to play a UCLA team that, that is absolute garbage. That If UCLA come, goes in at a six-point favorite, that should be motivation right there. The fact that you're a dog against what I would consider the worst team in the Pac-12. So I would absolutely take that with a chip on my shoulder, and, and it better not be. You get a 10-point lead, you better close that game out. So these are the types of things that you have to see out of the season, where regardless of where we where the buffs end up in this season, you want to see a team continue to get better. So you, you made the mistakes not being able to close out a game this last week. Let's not see those mistakes made again the rest of this year, and I'll feel like you see a, a coaching staff in Mel Tucker and a team in the CU Buffs improving and getting better. And just because games are close doesn't necessarily mean that, that CU's been blowing leads for these close games. I mean, the 35-30 game against Arizona, it was good up until the end. It's not like CU's defense blew something late. Uh, the... Um, 30-23 uh, game against Air Force that went to overtime. Again, it, it's not like this has been a pattern for CU. It's just something new to address, and that's going to happen, Jared. You know, again, new coaching staff. You're going to go through those bumps. And let's not forget, this was USC. Right now, they're ranked first in the uh, in the Pac-12 South. We can debate whether that's going to change or not, but this is a very good football team filled with five-star and four-star athletes. And Clay Helton keeps finding a way to, to win, man. He's hanging on, man. He's hanging by, on. By a thread. All right, you got anything else you want to add before last week, uh, before we uh, head yeah, on to the Yeah, I US do want to touch just on a couple of individual defensive players that we really haven't gotten too much of an opportunity to make a, a, get a point out too many guys on this defense. But uh, the freshman, K.J. Trujillo, out on the outside, yeah, yeah. he missed on some plays. There was a touchdown right over the top of him, but, but Kid made some plays. He was right there. Anytime he was getting beat, he was right there. I think he has a bright future as a true freshman out there. He's the one that had the early interception, made a great read on the ball. So really good to see him. And then I just want to point out Devion Taylor, a guy that last year was basically new to football. He'd only played a very limited in JUCO, never played in high school. And you can just see the progression of Devion Taylor on this team. And he is a guy that screams NFL potential to me. They're lining him up sort of at an outside linebacker safety hybrid role. Right now, he 
is tied for second on the team with 44 tackles, has three pass breakups, a fumble recovery, and looking at just the last two games, he's led the team in tackles each of the last two weeks, and you just see he is so comfortable. His nose is always near the ball, so I really think Davion Taylor is going to continue to grow on this defense throughout this year, and you may see him getting drafted some point next year. Yeah, that's the kind of speed that you need, Davion Taylor. He's all over the field, has no problem getting in the backfield making tackles. Uh, you're right, great game by him. And you mentioned KJ Trujillo, interception, two uh, passes uh, defensed, one tackle for loss, one sack, one quarterback hurry. And he rocked the quarterback on that <laughs> sack, man. Yeah, no, uh, he, he's a bright spot. And that's that's the thing is Steve's got some young talent. And it's not just the young talent. It's that they're getting real reps this year. And I don't want to be hyperbolic with the whole, uh, just – Wait till next season because we have games left to play this year. And if anything, I'll be getting upset because we haven't seen it this year. So you want to keep seeing the improvement. But, Jared, we are seeing that. We may not have seen the win last weekend, but there's a lot, a lot to be happy about. And I don't want folks to go, the listeners to go, wait a minute, Tyler, you're upset. and you're ha-. Folks, there's a lot to be happy and upset with. I mean, see, you looked good for three quarters, like Jared said. There's a lot to take away positive from there. Am I disappointed we didn't get the win? Absolutely. Am I disappointed we didn't send that stupid fan base home with the loss? I mean, I was sitting next to some USC fans. Yes, I'm really upset that we didn't, but we're seeing the steps that need to be taken. The only thing is you want to actually see that next step be accomplished, whether whether it's this year, next year, they are doing the right things, Jerry. We have to give them credit for that. And and here's how I think a good way of looking at it is if, you, if the Buffs take the performance from Friday night and they match that, each of the next four weeks, their last four weeks of the season, I absolutely think the Buffs have a legitimate chance to make it to a bowl. If you can give me that effort, that performance wow. against the next in, over the next four weeks, you're going to have a chance to win each and every one of those games. You just have to find a way to finish it in the end. I mean, that's pretty optimistic. The Buffs are right now three and five. Obviously, that means they would have to finish the year with only one loss. We'll talk about that game coming up next week. Keep it here. This is Buffs Nation. Special thanks to the Wise Listing System team. If you're looking to move into a home, condo, apartment, whatever it is, make it easy. It can always be so stressful, right? Don't just get on. I know some people these days, they like to go to to, uh, uh, Craigslist or they like to just type into Google, like to maybe check around on Zillow. That's fine. Do your part there if you like doing that stuff. But if you don't like going through the hassle of setting up the appointments and setting up the showing, so on and so forth, let the Wise Listing System team handle it for you. Online at paymyfirstmonth.com and they will do just that. Again, whether it's a home, condo, apartment, they'll pay your first month's mortgage. Now think about what that can do. All the little things you're spending on when you're moving, whether it's, you know, the actual moving guy, the, the the moving uh, crew, right? I've seen a lot of people use moving uh, companies lately. You ever use the moving company, Jared? No, I, I usually just call you, Tyler. Exactly. <laughs> All right? <laughs> exactly. I'm always doing it myself. But whether you are using the, the company, that costs a little bit. I mean, some people have to stay somewhere for a few weeks while things are getting set up. There's always a little bit that you have to pay here or there when you're moving. Let them take a little bit and, and just make it less stressful for you by setting things up, making it a seamless process, and paying your first month's mortgage. Check them out online, paymyfirstmonth.com, and tell me you heard about them right here on the Buffs Nation podcast. All right, next week, Colorado Buffaloes at the UCLA Bruins. Now, I will say, if you look at this game now compared to the beginning of the year, 
This is a much more difficult game than I thought it was going to be. And Jared, one thing that you and I have talked about at nauseum this season is all we want to see from CU, a little bit of improvement each week. Just improve through the season. Well, you know what, Jared? That's exactly what the UCLA, UCLA Bruins have done. They started off the season a 24-14 loss against Cincinnati. Followed that up with a 23-14 loss against San Diego State. And then got humiliated by Oklahoma, 48-14. And since then, win or lose, they've looked better and better every week. I had question marks about their quarterback, Dorian Thompson-Robinson. He's having, he's playing good football. So let's start there. Let's start with UCLA's offense, key players that CU is going to have to shut down, and we will start at quarterback. Dorian Thompson-Robinson, as I said, good year so far, not great. Only 58.6 completion percentage, and I think that's a very important stat. So to me, the first thing that jumps out here is, well, CU's got a fourth this guy to throw the football. And what's even more surprising to me because of the dual threat that Dorian Thompson-Robinson is, I believe he was like the number one dual threat quarterback coming out in his class, right, or, yeah. or maybe at least high up there you know a Bishop couple Gorman, years ago. Something like that? Yeah, 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 he did, he did, with the, the ones that win national championship year after year <laughs> in high school. Uh, but he's only got 156 rushing yards on the season, and, and it, he's only averaging 2.2 yards per carry. Yeah. Now, again, we've talked about this before, that does factor in sacks. So it is a little bit of a deceiving number. But for a guy that came out as, as a highly touted dual-threat quarterback – and, and in Chip Kelly's offense, which typically really leans on the quarterback running the ball a lot, he's not been that successful running the ball. So yeah. he's, his, his statistically, he struggled. But again, if you look back week by week, you're seeing an improvement week by week. He's getting more and more comfortable. Last year was terrible for Dorian Thompson-Robinson as a freshman. He got beat up. He got chewed up and spit out. This year, you're seeing a slow improvement from him. So he's a guy that doesn't really scare you specifically as a thrower or hasn't really been super effective as a runner, but that dual threat capability and the talent that he carries, well, it scares you. But, but it's also the way they're playing as a team. And I think this is the... The, the the one offense in the last like 10 years of Chip Kelly coaching that that doesn't need that quarterback doing everything. Chip Kelly had Marcus Mariota was a do-it-all quarterback, right? He kind of was lucky to have Mariota because he could do everything. I don't think actually Dorian Thompson-Robinson has showed near the improvement that the entire team has in general week by week. They look better and better as a unit, but something that scares me about that, Jared, I wouldn't get too hung up on the 2.2 yards average, and here's why. The first, the obvious you said, sacks are in there, but the other is... He's run the ball 72 times, talking about Dorian Thompson-Robinson, their quarterback. 72 times is good for second on the team in attempts, just behind Josh Kelly, their feature back. So Dorian Thompson-Robinson's going to get his carries. We know that. And if there's one thing we know about the CU defense is, yeah, we can stop that fast quarterback once, but can you do it if you see it 13 or 14 times in one game? That's what worries me, is eventually they're going to keep... I mean, UCLA's a team that keeps banging their head on a brick wall trying to run the quarterback. Eventually, they may break through, so CU has to be disciplined this weekend. To me, that's the, that's the biggest thing on defense is discipline, making sure you're watching those read options and not letting Dorian Thompson-Robinson run free. If you contain him starting in the passing game, you're going to be able to contain him then in the running game. That, that That's the goal here. But they're going to run him multiple times. It's not like you shut him down three or four times. They're going to say, you know what? We're throwing out the window this game. Second rusher on the team in terms of attempts, so he's going to get his carries. And one thing we've always known about Chip Kelly offenses is it's all about volume. They want to get as many plays as they can. It's all about what? Volume. It's all about what? <laughs> oh, come and on, Jared. Here. Oh, I have my soundboard down here. God dang it, Jared. You... There we go. Oh, that was. Hey, I'll be here all so week, bad. folks. That was so bad. Tip your waitress. It's funny to watch them fall over. 
Okay, go on. Uh, but when you look at their season, when when they're successful uh, as a team, it's because their offense gets going. In uh, their last three games, they've put up thirty plus thirty or more points, and in every win this year, they've scored at least thirty one points. So it's one of those that you score more than thirty one points, and this team is very successful. They score less than that, and this is not a team that's going to ever shut a team down and win. So if you can control and and minimize what this offense is doing, that's what help will help you lead to victory. And that's not very promising for CU fans who are aware yeah. of this stat. The Colorado defense has given up at least thirty points in every game this season. Yes, and so <laughs> and, and honestly, when I look at this U, UCLA team and what they're doing over the last three or four weeks, they yeah. won their last two and three of the last four. It to me is more a sign of the defenses and the teams that they're playing. You know, against Washington State, they they allowed sixty three points but score sixty seven. You know, you go on the road. On the road, you know, Oregon State they allowed forty eight points. They lost bad to Oregon State, but again scored thirty one. You know, Stanford you're scoring thirty four points. So it's more to me a sign that uh, you're you're beating a down Stanford team in, in, in a season where they, nothing can go right for them. You know, you're you're, you're beating a, a Washington State team that really doesn't have a whole lot. I know the boss didn't do anything against that team, but you look at the rest of their season, their defense isn't really stopping anyone. So I think it's more of a sign of UCLA matching up well against certain teams. So the concern is well, they match up pretty well against the CU defense. So can the CU defense show us what they showed us last week and come up strong against this UCLA offense? We talked about playing more man-to-man, uh, -man, kind of matching up last week, shutting down who they I, I think that you could approach it differently this week. I think more of the zone defense approach because you have to watch Thompson Robinson out of the backfield. And again, you can't be so overwhelmed with his running abilities, but it will be there. And they do have a lot of guys producing on the outside. Jerry... As a team, as I said, they've been getting better and better. I look at these receivers, and unlike the Buffs, who have Visca and then three or four really, 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 really great receivers, everyone on UCLA's team seems to be pretty much at the same level. There's not one guy who jumps off the page, and if anything, uh, Demetric Felton, who's listed as a running back, is the best catcher on the team. He has the most receptions, the most receiving yards, the second most receiving touchdowns. Am I reading this wrong, or is he a running You know, back? <laughs> I have not watched enough of UCLA games live to know where he's usually running up, uh, you know, lining up on the field, but they do list him as a running back. I think what they do a lot is run the two quarterback system, or the two running back system, so... Right. Uh, Thompson Robinson will be in the shotgun, which they're primarily in. He'll have one guy on either side of him, a lot of times motioning that guy to the exactly. outside. And I was just say, he, a, he oftentimes, I think, is motioning out, probably lining up as an H-back or as a slot receiver yeah. oftentimes. Yeah, and he's quick. He gets the ball and he moves, averaging 12.2 yards a catch. But again, you look at the Kyle, Fi uh, Kyle Phillips at receiver. Uh, Devin Asasi, uh, folks. I don't. We this is the one year, one time of the year we get UCLA's stupid hockey roster. All these Southern California <laughs> schools. It's like reading a Montreal Canadians or whatever. Uh, Kyle Phillips at receiver. Uh, Devin uh, Asiasi at tight end, and Jalen Irwin at receiver. All have around the same stats. Uh, right there in the 25 to 30 catches, 250 to 350 yards, averaging about 10 to 12 yards a catch. They all have a touchdown, at least one. So you don't know who they're going to go to, but it's mainly those four guys on offense who are catching the football. So I think a team defense, zone defense, letting Davion Taylor, letting Nate Landman kind of work in the middle of the field there, Davion use that speed, get to side to side. That's what this team needs against UCLA. 
I think also try and confuse Dorian Thompson Robinson, force him into some bad decisions. As I said earlier, the kid's only completing 58.5% of his passes. He's got seven interceptions, 15 touchdowns. The way you get after him is to make him uncomfortable and to force the ball out of his hand. CU, I think they should keep up what they did last week, keep blitzing, keep using these guys in a unique way, and continue. It's not just building off of USC mentally. It's building off of USC with the X's and O's. Find out what worked. That was elite talent last week. Be it home or on the road, USC is good. UCLA is one or two notches below that talent level, so you can really exploit, I think, some of the offensive weaknesses here. Yeah, absolutely. You want to you want to make uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson have to be a passer. I think the early downs are key for the Buffs. You're going to see UCLA, I think, utilizing the run a lot early on in the, in the in first and second downs. You have to keep those plays short, limited, make it third and eight, third and nine, where they have to throw the ball. He has to get read the defense, and he has to make plays. One thing that I think uh, CU, we can agree on this, CU struggled with this year is getting to the quarterback, putting pressure on the quarterback. This may be the game that you can do that. Torian Thompson-Robinson has been sacked 18 times. The team, collectively, has given up 21 sacks. So that's just under three a game. That's not great. When they do give up sacks, it seems to kind of rain down. So if CU can find a way to, again, get in the backfield, that's going to be big, putting pressure on Thompson-Robinson. All right, so we talked about, oh, we haven't mentioned Josh Kelly yet. They're do-it-all-back. Uh, he is their bell cow. He's going to get the ball the majority of the time. Look at attempts right now on the year. He's got more than double of anybody else on the team. 735 yards, four and a half, well, 4.8 yards a carry, and he's got eight of their 13 touchdowns. Obviously, I mean, it's, well, Jared, you shut down Josh Kelly. These buffs are going to be successful, but you have to be physical with this guy. You've got to hit him and know you're there. Don't let him escape when he touches the ball, catching it out of the backfield. I want, I want to be physical with Josh Kelly. I think that's the way you get after him. You beat him up. And he's a big boy, 220 pounds. He, he certainly is, is a tough guy to take down. So NFL running back. You're right, right. And, and it is a very different uh, approach to bringing down a guy like Josh Kelly versus Dorian Thompson-Robinson, who's more of a, a sleek, you know, uh, thinner guy that's going to be hard, more elusive, try to get to. So I think it's key to be disciplined. Like you said, when, when you're getting the runs up the middle, you have to fill your gaps. The interior defense, I think, was really, really strong for the Buffs last week. Again, we noted Mustafa Johnson was back in there. Jalen Sammy had a couple of big plays. So those guys on the interior of the defense, that is going to be huge. But you got to watch out because Chip Kelly loves to go on off the edge and get guys out in space in the running game. So you have to really be careful not to get too caught up inside. Guys like Davion Taylor, these cornerbacks, these safeties have to be able to fill on the outside and not let plays get around them. Uh, one player to watch on defense for UCLA, Stephon Blaylock. He is a safety uh, he's been really good this year. I mean, look at some stats. He is second on the team in tackles, and he's only one shy of their middle linebacker, Chris Barnes. And in college football in the Pac-12, that middle linebacker is going to eat up a lot of tackles. So it says something to me that they have Stefan Blaylock, the second leading tackler on the team. Two passes deflected. Okay, so he's 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 kind of guarded uh, passes defensed as a stat. Two passes defensed, and he has three tackles behind the line of scrimmage. You talk about a guy who can play all over the field and get in the backfield. We mentioned Davion Taylor, how good he is for the buffs. This is kind of that do-it-all guy for UCLA. Watch him. If, if you're, uh, He is number four. So you got to watch out for number four. He's gonna he's all over the, uh, the field. He's a ball hawk, and he's going to get in the backfield as well and try and make Montez uncomfortable. So this team, this offense, always has to know where number four is. And, and uh, you know, just... 
talking about this UCLA team, they're really improving as a team. And when you when I look at this defense, there isn't really a whole lot of flashy no. big time guys. Darnay Holmes, cornerback, he's a big name. He was a top recruit when he came in. He's a junior now. He's been somewhat underwhelming. He does have one interception on the year. Um, but when you look at this team, like looking at the front seven, um, there are 17 sacks UCLA has yeah. on the season from nine different players. I mean, pretty much everybody in their front seven, defensive line, linebackers, has a sack on the year. Nobody has more than two and a half. So there's really not that feature player that you have to shut down. As a team, they get after you. So I think really for the Buffs, there isn't any specific you know area to target necessarily. No, you, you're right. You're right. They, they're they're going to be aggressive. But here's the thing, Jared, is their aggressiveness this year hasn't paid off in terms of turnovers. Now, you mentioned that they are giving up some points. And, and let's face it, so far UCLA, if you beat them, you're going to have to beat them in a shootout because they're going to score, but they're also going to give points up. Get this, through uh, seven games so far this year, I believe it's seven, is it, for UCLA? Eight games so far this year, they're three and five. Uh, through eight games so far this year, three interceptions, no fumbles recovered. Wow, that's, that's Isn't that surprising. Now, now they've forced eight fumbles, have not recovered any of them. So this is a team that's not doing a very good job in the turnover department. Sometimes that's luck. Sometimes you're just waiting for that to go off. So if that's the case, you really hope it doesn't go off against the Buffs. But that's something that I think a lot of teams pride themselves on. And UCLA's not done a good job so far. So holding on to the football, having Montez again have that zero in the interception column is going to be very big for the Buffs. As you said, Jared, no one player really in particular or one strength on this defense. Overall, average Pac-12 defense are going to give yards up. And I'm even going to say below average. When you look at yeah. their statistically, especially against the passing game, uh, this, this team ranks towards the bottom in in yards allowed, scoring allowed uh, within the Pac-12. So there are certainly opportunities, and and I would say that's a big advantage for CU, except for I think that UCLA ranks above them in just about every category defensively. So it's going to be it's two similar teams lining up, offenses that have had their moments but have had struggles throughout the year, and defenses that, well, let's pretty much be call it like it is. They're leaky as a sieve. Well, let's get over to the good guys. What are the Buffs going to have to do to get the win this weekend? And we'll start with Montez. I mentioned him. I think it's very, very obvious here. Just keep a zero in the turnover column. Just no picks, no fumbles, no stupid third and three, hoving, hucking it up to the end zone. A carbon copy of last game would be ideal, except for getting your bell wrong. You know, that was not very good when you saw it. And, and I didn't get a chance to really see that one live. It looked like that was right along the sidelines, maybe a little bit of a late hit there. Or am I just being a homer again? I have a tendency to well, do Well, I mean, I, I I was at the game, too. You, you don't have the luxury of replay. I know, and I know. It, so. I swear they're cutting back on replays just because <laughs> the fans go nuts when they see anything. I, and I've <laughs> even heard it's turning into communist Russia here. I've heard where they go, where you're watching a game, and they go, uh, there was some knee injury this weekend, and you come back and the announcers go, well, folks, that was so gruesome, we're not even going to show you at home. It's like, can I be the decider of if it's too gruesome or not and show it, and I can either look the other way or not? Give, give the uh, disclaimer when the TV yeah, comes exactly. back on. Like, this we've this decided, video folks, may not be suitable yeah, for children under we've decided under it's, it's, not, it's not okay for anyone to view. And you actually see it, and it wasn't even that bad. It's like, give me a break. What's going on here? But... Anyway, that's my little rant for the day. <laughs> yeah, and refocusing. Yeah, exactly. you're, you're right. I think if you can just, to me, this should be the easiest game planning of the year for the CU offensive well, coaching let's not, staff. Let's not dump things no, down no, no. here. Take what that game plan you went into last week with, and that's what you need to go in with this week with. You need to have that same approach. Get the ball into your playmaker's hands early and often. Get the ball out of Steven Montez's hands and utilize his athleticism. Make him a runner. Make him take advantage of what he's given. If they're going to lock up all the receivers, let him run. 
in terms of uh, can we move on to running backs? Let's do good? it. All right, cool. Uh, in terms of running backs, I think Fontenot and Jared Mangum just have to keep doing what they've done so far this season. They've not let down at all. Matter of fact, I want to give the coaching staff a huge nod. Is we're always quick to to criticize, right, Jared? We have to do the same on the other side. I think this coaching staff has done an exceptional job preparing freshmen, true freshmen, Jaron Mangum for a long, successful career in college. They've done a great job getting him implemented, not too much, but at the same time, not too little. At this point in the year, uh, eight games in, I think that 74 carries is a, a perfect amount. And look what he's doing with those carries. 4.3 yards a touch, three touchdowns. So... I'm really impressed with the way they're integrating him in this offense, not asking too much early on, but getting him enough exposure to where he's going to be able to hit the ground running uh, figure or literally next year. So I'm really happy with the coaching staff, the way they're using Jaron Mangum. And I'll be curious to see how he, how he looks this week, coming off uh, arguably his best performance of the year, where he was averaging just about six. But yards that's what per we're carry. looking for, Jared, is for these guys to get better and better every week. Exactly. That's exactly what Jaron Mangum is doing. And Fontenot, I mean, can you say anything bad about this guy this season? If he's the one rock, the one stability, the one solid part of this team and offense uh, specifically, it's got to be Fontenot, man. He looks good. So just keep doing your thing, backfield. You don't have to worry about a whole lot here. Line's been good uh, uh, run blocking. Running backs have been good run. We're now, I need to re- revisit something that you brought up a few weeks back, and I pushed back on you a little bit, and that was the penalties. Penalties. And this has become an issue for the Buffs. It has continued to get worse but and worse. But it's not just penalties. It's the timing of the penalties. It is. It is. It, it's, it's on it's third down. goal line. Yep. It's third down. Uh, looking back to this U- USC game, fourth and two or three late in the game. Uh, They're getting ready to go for it. And then you get a you get a, a, a false start, and now you have no choice but to punt it. By the way, punting away, which led to the game winning touchdown. Exactly. So you get that first down. That's a, a whole you know whole different scenario. But just looking at the bus this year, okay. Right now, if you look at the first four games of the season, okay, bus went three and one during that stretch. They averaged per game five and a half penalties for forty three yards. The last four games, buffs are zero and four. They're averaging. Ten and a half penalties Jeez. for ninety-one yards. Are you kidding me? Don't tell me that that is not directly correlated to winning and losing football games. And I, I push back on you. I said, no, no, no. These players need to get focused. They need to be in there. When you see game after game in the toughest situations, these players not being able to handle their composure, that to me speaks to a lack of preparing in these situations during practice and. I'm just blown away that you've been dealing with this for five weeks now and you've not seen any improvement. Last week, let's see, I think it was 13 penalties, 109 yards, one of the worst weeks of the year for the Buffs. You can't just hope those things change. You have to actively work on this in practice. I mean, how many times out of practice in, in Little League do you go through the you know where you have to watch the football, don't move till the football moves, so on and so forth. These are little things, Jared. It's no coincidence to me. The best teams in the nation, the Alabamas, Clemsons, Ohio State, they're often the least penalized. That's no, It's good coaching. That's what gets down to the players. And, and this has to change quickly, Jared. Yes, some's on the players, of course, but some is also on the coaches. You can't just say, guys, penalties have to change and then move on. You have to actively practice these things. You know, and it's to the point where if you're having consistent issues with people, it might be time to sit somebody down. If yeah. they can't handle those big moments, I mean, that's a key play. They, they may make every block all the way along down the drive, but if you make that one mistake on the one-yard line – and it takes four points essentially off the board, changing a, a touchdown into a field goal. 
That's the difference in the game. That's what the Buffs lost by. They had a goal line stand. That's exactly right. They, they get a, a penalty, turns into a field goal. You end up losing by four points. One thing I mentioned last week, and while we're sticking on the running game here, is that I wanted to see these receivers get more involved. Yes, Fontenot and Jaron Mangum have their place in this offense. We just said how electric Fontenot's been specifically, but both of them have not let down at all. But, I mean, I think everybody would agree that CU's most elite unit on the field, both offense or defense, is their receivers. Uh, would you disagree with that, Jared? I don't. No, think... I don't think you can. And Ex- there's any way you can. Exactly. One thing I loved seeing last week was how quickly this coaching staff was able to flip things around and start getting the ball to their receivers. Again, like you said, they're probably tuning in, Jared, because Tony Brown had a rush. Katie Nixon had one rush. LaVisca Chenault had a rush. Maybe even like to see more out of the wild. He would have had about three or four more had they not freaking had false start penalties every time he went into the Wildcat. No kidding. And, and, and maybe that's Twice part of Twice that is. happened in the game. Uh, I want to see more of that. I love him in the Wildcat. And it's pretty obvious. You know what they're going to do, but it's effective. You know, and, and you've not really seen him hand the ball off a ton, but I've heard from several people within the, the CU organization that he's actually great at reading defenses in that scenario, doing the actual true read option. So I'd like to see a little bit more of that. You know, have right, him back there right. and not and, take and the ball. It off so you don't know definitely that he's keeping the ball. Even if it's a defined run where you're handing it off no matter what, at least throw that out as a little bit of a curveball so you don't know exactly what he's doing. I, I think so as well. Now, he's just so good when he gets the football, so tough to bring down, tough to tackle. Uh, but I'd like to see that. I'd like to see a little bit more wildcat implementation. Again, getting the ball to these receivers on jet screens, jet sweeps, like we saw uh, tunnel screens, jet sweeps, so on and so forth, like we saw last week. And Jared, again, this is good. We're building off things here. At least there's positives, right? It's a it's a whole different feel this week. I know we lost. I know it was a, an aggravating loss, and you should have won, but this feels different, saying it's possible. Right? Going into last week's game, it's like, there was a caveat. You would always say, well, yeah, but, well, yeah, but. We've seen it last week against USC, and sometimes that's all it takes for college kids. I know we're getting excited, but I promise you, they're feeling the same way in that locker room, man. Um, all right, so moving on to the receivers. We just kind of mentioned them in the running game, but there's no one guy who I think needs to stand out this in particular game. Matter of fact, uh, uh, LaVisca Chenault had one of his better games of the season last game. He had, what, nine catches? Yeah, 172 yards. Yeah, I mean, he had a very good game, so... Whether you want to spread it out, start keep feeding it to Chanel, whatever. I mean, See, I, but think, I think those two things correlate and they are directly related. When LaVisca Chanel gets involved, it opens up things for everyone else. Yeah, I, I think I, I, that's I just, important. I just worry about Montez getting tunnel vision. You don't want to become so reliant on one receiver, and that can become easy to do. We see quarterbacks in the NFL do that. So that's that, that would be my one concern there is when it becomes too easy, you don't want him to lock Something in. Something we saw last year. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, you talk about Tony Brown, Katie Nixon, Demetri Stanley. These guys don't get talked about enough, if, if you're asking me. Across the nation, in, in Pac-12 uh, country, these guys are good. Anything these receivers have to do in spe- uh, specifically this weekend, Jared? You know, they've been effective. When the ball's getting, when they're getting the ball, I mean, each of those guys have had their moments throughout the year. So yeah. I think they just need to continue to play within themselves. And I think it's, it's incumbent upon the coaching staff and Steven Montez to get the ball in their hands and let them make plays. All right, good stuff with CU's offense. I'm just scrolling down here looking at uh, some of these statistics on defense. (laughs) It is amazing how many more tackles Nate Landman has than the next guy on this team. Nate Landman, 81 total tackles for the Buffs. Second place, Davion Taylor, 44. (laughs) I mean, 
Woof, this guy's all over the field, Nate Lehman is. And that's not a bad thing. I mean, that's not bad or good. I mean, sometimes and he's As just, long as those tackles are within three yards of the line of hey. scrimmage, <laughs> it's not a bad thing. Exactly. And, and you know, when your linebacker and inside linebackers got most of your tackles, that, that's not a bad thing. It's it's when your safety is leading the tackles. That usually means they're getting eight or ten yards deep before anyone's touching them. Yeah, that's true. And second and third on this team are Davion Taylor and Mikhail Onu. So yeah, guys hey. who do play a little farther off the line of scrimmage. A factor of some of the games we've seen this season for the Buffs. All right, Jared, I want to wrap this up i always talk about the kicking game the special teams stefano good job last game no misses one field goal three extra points on the year 12 of 15 that's good for 80 percent and he's only missed one extra point i think right now james stefano uh, stefano excuse me one of the best kickers if not the best in the pac 12 he's old he knows how to cook shrimp on the barbie and Tyler, uh you say he's old i'm pretty sure he's younger than you well are. i mean he's I'm old just, I'm just just throwing that out he's there. old for a college kid you know you expect them all to could, be a little snot nose could you brain. imagine right now where you are in your life going back and and, and playing and being I have, in college i have fantasies of doing that of, of like pulling some i remember when i was doing uh working at uh in radio there was some guy who got in trouble for faking his age and going back and playing high school baseball and he was really good he like won a state championship and he, it was some whole thing where he just wanted to relive the glory days. I don't days think I would even back. do it for the sports because let's be honest, I'm no better at sports than I was <laughs> when I was 21 years old. I just think I could just kill it. I would be so cool. Everyone would love me, oh, man. God. I mean, man, it would be so much fun. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, Jared. I'm sure. I'm, I'm, I'm Watch, watching these kids walking in, uh, down campus to the games. <laughs> you got these stupid kids. The, okay, here's the one that cracks up. Stupid kids? You, yes, yes. At CU, all these kids that they wouldn't even accept me there, but you know. <laughs> no, I, I do I want to point this out. A though. lot about Jared. Uh, I, I want. I want. I want to have a get off my lawn guy moment. Okay. 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 So I, I pull up in into the parking lot, and we're we're just we're waiting to uh, get started on our tailgating, and I notice every person walking by is in a freaking t-shirt and i'm like are you guys aware are you aware that this is supposed to be a high of like 42 out here today i'm just did you bring gloves did you bring a hat i mean keeping that head warm man that's key so i have two responses my response i'll first tell you what the kids were thinking you just don't get it do you you don't (laughs) that's what they're thinking old man me personally, I showed up to that game in my winter coat. Yeah. I had my hat <laughs> <Nine> on. <layers laughs> exactly, man. But hey, they look good though. They look good. Oh well, of course. That's what it, that's what matters, right? <laughs> Don't you remember that age, man? It doesn't matter no, what's going no, on. No, because I was like that you when I was gotta... twenty-one. Why do you think I wasn't cool in high school and college, man? Just got to look good for the ladies, Jerry. That's all that matters. All right, so uh, let's get some score predictions as we get on out of here. I think the Buffs get their fourth win of the season. I think they look good on the road. Yes, it's going to be a high-scoring affair. The defense will have their fair share of bruises this game. Give me CU to outscore UCLA 38-34. Get the win on the road. I, I have a little more faith in this Buffs defense. I think we saw them turn the corner a little bit last week. I think we saw this as a different defense when they're at full strength on the defensive line. And This is one of the first matchups in several weeks where, as I'm putting together my notes and prepping, I feel good about the matchup that CU has here. I think they're the better team on both sides of the ball, and I think if they come out and play the same way that they played against USC, they're going to roll in this game. I think it's going to be a closer game than I'd like it to be, but I think the Buffs hold strong through the fourth quarter and prove they can win. I got the Buffs winning 31-21. All right, good stuff. That does it for this week's show. Remember to rate and review us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and even Alexa. Anyone out there with an Alexa, just say, listen to the Buffs Nation podcast. It'll pop right on up. Let's go, Buffs. Get a big win this week. Talk to you next week on the Buffs Nation podcast.